This is Shooting the Breeze Podcast, episode 13. Are we feeling a little stitious about this? About this episode? Superstitious. Superstitious. Anyways, here we are once again in the Cedarstrom Financial Group recording studio. I am your host, Taylor Cedarstrom, and we've got Brendan Watson over here in the corner. In my broom closet. Welcome, Braden. Good to be here. So today we have a special guest. As uh, Braden's dad would say, he is the man, he is the myth, he is the legend, he is the man. He did not birth me. I was birthed by a woman, <laughs> but he is my father. He is the owner of Cedarstrom Financial Group. In the home habitat of Cedarstrom Financial Group, Mr. Todd Cedarstrom. Hello, hello. How how are you? Great. Oh, we're great. Good. Thanks for having us here. Thanks for inviting me. It's wonderful. Inviting I, you. I like what you guys did to the place. Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit about this song that's playing right now. Um, Bread fan, it's only the most amazing introduction music there is. In my mind, anytime I'm walking into a room or going somewhere, that's the theme music that I hear in my mind of what's playing as I'm walking into a room. That's it. Bread fan by Metallica. That is it. I think everybody should have a you know intro go to yeah in their in their their play that's going on in their mind. Fun fact, uh, Mr. Cedarstrom has told me that he wants that song to be played at his funeral. True story. If I was going to be which, a professional which ball player. Which part of your funeral? Uh, probably when they're willing me in, maybe. Into the chapel. Again, it's intro music. So when everybody's sitting there and then they say, everybody stand, that's the music that I want played. As I'm being wheeled up to the front. Yeah. I also, as a, if I ever, was ever going to be a professional baseball player, that is the music that would be playing as I walked up to the, to the plate uh, to the plate to do my hitting. That would be it. Again, everybody should have a good theme, a good theme song that they Brain, need to be. What's playing. your theme song? I was just thinking about that. Uh, that's a hard decision to make. I'm sure Shania Twain has a good one for you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, softball season's right around the corner, and uh, that, yeah. that's usually my my walk up song is a Shania song or another. Dixie Chicks. That was oh, you read my mind. <laughs> I mean, Traveling Soldier. It's a classic. Landslide. <laughs> Those really pump you up. Yeah. Or Goodbye Earl, you know? It's some great team. You're going to make me cry. You're going to make me cry. I'm thinking maybe Boots getting boogie. Who's bad? Have your boots been under? <laughs> Alrighty. So, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Um, you don't want to introduce him? I don't know him that well. Go ahead. Why don't you introduce me? I thought we determined that all important people have someone else introduce them. Yeah. So they don't seem prideful. He's not prideful. All right, I'll go ahead and uh, 
Mr. Todd Cedarstrom was born on May. Do you want me to? No. May Day. May 1st. May 1st. In the 70s. Not as early as you think, not as late as you would hope <laughs> or try and guess. Yeah. Um, as I said before, he is the, what would you call yourself? The owner of Cedarstrom Financial Group. I'm the brainchild. CFO. Yes. yes. All of the above. CEO, CFO, COO. He's all the all the CEOs. officers in the organization. Are you all of the shareholder or shareholders? No. No, there's a wonderful lady that also shares that responsibility with me. Are you the founder? Yes. So we are going to talk a little bit later on in the podcast about your job, what you do, <clears throat> but you are a senior financial planner. Right, and that falls underneath the category of a financial advisor. Yes. I help people, yeah, protect their money. This sure. is what I told everybody on my mission. He helps old people with his money. <laughs> I do. With their money. With their money, yes. With their money. <clears throat> Clarification. Yes. Their money. That's what I do. Why old people? Uh, just a specialty. It's a, different, it's a different focus. It's more focusing on safety and preservation and guarantees. So tell us that little fun fact about safety and about preservation. Pennies? That you haven't lost a penny. That is true. In 23 years of doing this, I have not lost one penny of my client's money in any of the accounts they've done with me. Because that's their focus. When they come in, I ask them and I look at what they've got and I say, hey, this is what you got. How much of this account here do you want safe? And guess what the answer is? All of it. It's all a thousand batting average. Yeah. So there's still rules and regulations I got to follow on what can be safe and protected and 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 what's appropriate to still be in the market. So you have different accumulation advisors, stocks, bonds, mutual funds uh, that help people accumulate. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess, a, a safe money advisor, I guess, that uh, helping people when, make that transition into retirement to now their main focus is not accumulating. It's now, hey, I'm not working anymore. I need to focus on protecting and making sure that it's there tomorrow when I wake up, that it's going to last me through my golden years. So would you say you help these clients invest their money or just keep it safe, make it last? Uh, keep it safe, make it last. I mean, they're putting them into accounts. And to me, investing in kind of has like a, a connotation to where there's going to be some in risk involved with investing. Mm -hmm. So I'm helping them. Um, uh, there's some formulas used to, that what, what's appropriate to be safe, what's appropriate to still be in the market. And, and then I help them diversify it into to help them meet their goals. We'll talk about that later. That's, yeah, that's what I do. He is also the father of four children. Happily married how many years? 21? Three. No, 20. 23. Three. Yeah, because I'm, yeah, 21. 23 years. Congratulations. Thank you. You are... The, also a bishop in your congregation. I'm an ecclesiastical leader, the bishop of the fine, noble ward of the Mesa Skyline Stake, yes. Loaded with fine humans. Loaded with fine humans, yes. What else do I want to say about you? He's a diehard Metallica fan. Oh, yes. Fun fact here. So when I was little... 
see right now, like, I like country music. When I was little, I hated country music. You want to know why? Because I was a metalhead. My dad raised me. I was a metalhead. There's nothing wrong with that. I would fall asleep and take naps listening to Metallica. System of the Down, System Metallica. System of the Down, Evanescence. Yes. Those were the bands. Classics. That was the trifecta of music in my early days. It still is. You just don't know it. Down in my soul, there is a base of music. And laying the foundation for that base of music is Metallica, System of the Down, and Evanescence. Isn't he a... Uh, a member of the fan club of Metallica? Well, yes, I am. That too. <laughs> yeah. I was going to move on to a rampant uh, stunt skater. Yes. I had a full-size skateboard ramp in my backyard. Professional nine, amateur. Nine-foot uh, amateur. Nine-foot on one side, 11-foot on the other side with two feet of vert. It was a sweet... Two feet of what? Vert. That's a, a straight up and down vert. So you've got the band uh, and the then vertical. vert would be straight up and down. So there would be two feet of vert on one side. And um, that was kind of what uh, my dad kind of bribed us with or sweetened the pot of, hey, we're moving, by the way. We're going to take you out of your schools and we're going to move to this different area. But... Um, while we're building this house, we're going to order some extra wood so you guys can build a skateboard ramp. And and it worked just fine. So we built this giant ramp in the backyard, and everybody would come over. And How many people did you have pretend to be your friends? So oh, could... many. You didn't even have to pretend. If you just wanted to skate, you just come you over You ever heard of the name Tony Hawk? No. He came over a couple times. Wow. A lot of the old names, that's probably the only name you'd recognize. Tons of other people that you wouldn't recognize that were famous at one time. They'd come from far and wide, or were they all local? At one time, we had probably the second best skateboard ramp in the state. The other one was up in North Mesa, except they would lock their ramp up. They put a big bar across the middle of it. So when they would leave, people wouldn't sneak in and in the backyard and skate. So there'd be this giant bar over the middle, so you couldn't couldn't skate on it. And they would padlock it up. But and when you guys came home, there's people. There was seriously there was people at our house probably twenty hours out of every day. We had a big field in the backyard. People would just drive up and and could skate. And we lived on a big acre, and the and the ramp was far enough in the backyard to where it never they never bothered the house or anything else. And talk about hospitality. Yeah. It was awesome. It was good. Any other introduction pieces of information? Nope. Uh, Not that I can think of. Hobbies. Passions. I love music. He is a music junkie. Yep. I love music. Uh, I was a percussionist, marching band, uh, drums, um, and percussion on all the symphonies and orchestras and bands and jazz bands. And you had your own rock band for a while. Many rock bands. I don't know if you're if you're into music. You have many rock bands. What yep. were some of their names? Uh, my favorite band was Billy Rubin. <laughs> was that one you were in? That I was in all of the bands that I. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So this band was Billy Rubin. Do you happen to know what that is? It's a disease. It is a disease. Yeah, it turns your 
um, your skin yellow. Usually babies have bilirubin, and they'll put like babies. Jaundice? Yeah, 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 yeah. So bilirubin was the name of our band, and our um, favorite song to play was called Yellow Babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my buddy David it. would sing, and it was a, uh, kind of a punk band, uh, and he played the harmonica and sang, and it was awesome. Good times. Had a great, great drum set that that I sold to help finance my mission, so... Just like any young punk skater, you gotta have a rock band. Yeah. So maybe you and Steve from uh, our last episode can get together and get the band back together and yeah, jam. Get the band back together, yeah. a little jam session. I just don't have a drum set. That's all. So that was a little loud. I apologize. Let's go ahead and just dive on into these questions, what we got going on for today. We're going to be talking about primarily your life from your mission up until your engagement to my wonderful mother. So we're going to go ahead and start off with a question we ask everybody. What's the most influential piece of advice you have ever received? Um, two things, both from my father. Um, the first one he told me was, uh, don't get kidnapped while you're on your mission because we don't have any money to pay the ransom. So I spent most of my mission. So you changed your mind and decided not to get kidnapped. Yeah, changed my mind and, well, I, I didn't know that that was, course. I, apparently I didn't know that that was a, a place that that can happen, but. Uh, Where was this? In the Philippines. In the, uh, I was uh, in the northern, the the big island of the Philippines, Luzon. I was up in the northwest coast of the, up, up in the mountains and jungle area. So apparently that was, um, that stuff happened. And so I, I, either I didn't think it was a big deal or not, but he thought it was pretty, pretty, a pretty big deal to warn me, hey, don't get kidnapped and because uh, we don't have any money to pay your ransom. And, side note, got kidnapped twice. We'll talk about that later. Um, if you were to get kidnapped, what's that? I, I don't think that. I don't think that. I was elder napped. Church lets you pay the ransom, do they? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know, but it was interesting. Huh. Um, the other thing you talked about, he taught me a good uh, work ethic. He told me that it doesn't matter what job you're doing; you just need to work your butt off to ever make any progress up the ladder that you're working at. Um, that you can either maintain a job and just work and do the minimum or you can just and get by or you can work your butt off and progress up the ladder, better opportunities, uh, more doors open up because of, uh, because of that, because of your integrity, going the extra mile and work ethic. Um, you always told me, you know, bosses want employees that want, um, want people they can count on to go the extra mile. So I didn't want to be a problem to them. He said, make sure you're not a problem to them while you're working. Nobody wants to hire somebody that are going to be a problem. Kind of like what Chicken Nuts has said. What was that? Chicken Nuts' dad told him, I didn't raise you to be someone else's problem. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him saying that. Yeah. So he so he told me, he says, there's a problem. Come to me and tell me the problem and bring two or three ways on how you're going to fix it. So that was always it. Have a good work ethic and uh, don't be a problem solver. So. Uh, be a problem solver. Be a problem solver. So there's an old proverb. It's called fix the problem, not the blame, that I would hear. And so the idea is that when a problem comes up, most people spend uh, time arguing over who's at fault and how we should punish them, what we should do to them. And 
And uh, while we should just focus on the solution of the problem. So it's simple. Find out what the problem is, fix it. That way nobody gets blamed and nobody uh, needs to be blamed. Blame doesn't really do much good for anybody. Ever. We want... I think Jocko talks about this sometimes. He talks about the difference between excuses and reasons. Reasons sometimes lead the way to a solution. However, excuses... Never lead the way to the solution. Yeah. Don't excuses. It's okay to have a problem as long as you come to it and say, hey, look, here's a problem. Here's two and three ways that I'm going to do to fix it. Yep. It's really just a different difference in mentality because the same reason or the can same thing can be an excuse right. or a reason. Depends on what you do with it. Right. If you try to excuse yourself with the excuse rather than hey, boss, you know, this problem that we're experiencing right now is because of this, and it's Here's know, how we're it's a reason, it. and so that's how it's contributing to the problem, and that's why we have a problem. And so it's part of the nature of the problem, but if you use it as an excuse, it's not really constructive to the solution. Speaking of which, Dichotomy of Leadership just came out today. That's Jocko's new book. Good plug. <clears throat> he pays me. Just kidding, he doesn't. Alrighty, so how old were you when you left on your mission? Nineteen. That was the only age you can. Well, I guess night between nineteen and twenty-five. I was right. nineteen when I went on my mission. Alrighty, and so I was excited to go on my mission. I couldn't wait to go on my mission. I had a friend that was like, "Yeah, maybe I want to wait a little bit," or I couldn't wait to go on a mission. So, and excited. why was that? Where did, where, where did those those thoughts, feelings come from? Because um, they, just they don't just gonna... come out of nowhere. No, Because no. sometimes you you find I, – I find that some people, you know, they get excited for mission, and then when it starts to, like, be, kind of become real, and like, oh, I'm actually having to make some sort of sacrifice mm-hmm. to be on a mission, then it's, eh, maybe I shouldn't. No, I, I've always n- known I was going to serve a mission – um, I wanted to serve a mission. I thought it would be um, an exciting point in my life to serve a mission. Um, I knew there'd be great things that would happen. I mean, you hear stories about missions and missionaries and what they're doing and going out. And I, I just always thought I was going to have a great mission and I was going to go out and I couldn't wait to do it. Uh, I've always known the church was true. I was raised in the church. I was baptized in uh, my pool in the backyard. So that was a cool story. Grandpa got to put me in the pool, got baptized in the pool. You can't do that anymore. I, I don't know how that he was able to figure that out or how it worked out, but that was pretty cool. I got a picture of me in the in my pool in the backyard. We actually tried to get you to be baptized in the pool. You remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah, we couldn't do it. Rules have, rules have changed and things have happened. We thought it would be a good tradition that we would say, hey, Dad got baptized in the pool and Taylor can do it, but it didn't work out. So, um, But I wanted to, but as a teenager... Um, as all stupid teenagers, my my faith was shaken as a teenager because, uh, like I said, we're stupid, dumb. Uh, we do dumb things um, that doesn't invite the Spirit into your lives and don't help you do nice things or anything like that or strengthen your testimonies. But uh, I had a seminary teacher that was um, was a great seminary teacher, and at one time I wanted, I thought I would be a seminary teacher. That I would, I thought that was really cool that he'd reached out to me, let me know that. That God loved me, Heavenly Father loved me, and um, that I would be happier if I made better decisions. And 
which is really neat that the extra effort he put out uh, towards me. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, and it changed my life. And at one time I wanted to be a, a seminary teacher, or institute teacher to, to do the same thing. But um, he had challenged me to, to pray about it, which I did. Um, and I actually thought, uh, I thought, hey, if Joseph Smith can go out and do it, so can I. So I drove up to the mountains one day and found a spot alone away from everyone else and uh, was determined to, I was going to pray until I got an answer, and I did. So it was pretty neat. Um, that very same week, I had a very um, amazing kind of dream vision, you might say, that was special, uh, private for me, um, just me. But it strengthened my answer and decision that I uh, that I had received earlier when I went up to mountains to the praying. So, and how old were you when you're kind of experiencing this? Um, fourteen or fifteen ish. Fifteen. You were driving. No, no. Uh, when I was a teenager, making stupid decisions. Okay. <laughs> no, it was after driving. Yeah, I was uh, driving when I was able to do that. So yeah, the driving up and it was gotcha. my junior senior year, maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, so that and other experiences uh, strengthened my desire to serve a mission. It was something that I wanted to do. So I always knew that I needed to serve a mission and tell people how important it is. So that's what I did. It was it was an important thing to decide to do. Not just every worthy young man should do it and we're expected to do it. I mean, we are. You, but You kind of just wanted to feel it. You wanted to know personally. Yeah, I was still going to do it regardless because right. you should. But uh, probably if I would, I, I don't know if I would have, my older brother fell away from the church and and um, didn't do those things. And I I looked up to him. He was doing a lot of cool things. And and um, I thought that was kind of neat. But uh, I was kind of going that, down that direction. But but I didn't lose, didn't lose focus as much as he did. And thank goodness that uh, I didn't because that's, that's some cool things happened because of that. Look at you now. Got you now. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your mission? <clears throat> so you get on your mission, you get called to the was it Luzon, the Philippines Ilagan Mission. So, the Philippines Ilagan Mission. I couldn't even pronounce it. I pronounced it Iligan because I thought it was like Gilligan, Gilligan's but without yeah. And so I pronounced it Iligan, which clearly it's not. It's the Ilagan mission. I think I mispr- mispronounced my, my mission as well. I think everybody does because you don't know. I don't think I did. No? <laughs> Texas? Yeah. Uh, Is that Houston? Texas. <laughs> um, but at the time there were, um, I think there were 13 missions in the Philippines. And so that was the cool thing about it because... Um, in my packet I got, it said that the Philippines was made up of like over like 9,000 yep. islands. But if you squeeze them together and, and yeah, your buddy, he, he went to the Philippines. He kind of gave some of the same, uh, yeah, Jaren. yeah, some of the same stuff. But if you were to squeeze all the islands together, it's the same size as the, of the, the state of Arizona where we live. Um, so imagine Arizona being divided up into 13 missions. And so that's, that's what it was. And then come to find out, uh, about three months ago, I found out that there's like 20 missions now there. So that, I mean, the gospel's cruising, and the people are just humble as can be. But so that's where I was at. So I lived up in the, like I said, the northwest part of the mainland of Luzon. Uh, it's all mountains, uh, dense jungles, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, no highways, uh, major roads, all the dirt roads and trails where I was at. 
Uh, there was one highway that ran right up the middle of the island, straight up the middle from the bottom from Manila all the way up to the very top. Uh, and you'd get up to the top and then turn off on some dirt road, and that would lead over to our mission. Um, and so it was just uh, dirt roads, the whole dirt roads and trails, my whole mission, up in the mountains and the jungles. Um, average yearly salary in the Philippines, just under 700 bucks. 650 bucks is the annual average salary for somebody in the Philippines. Yeah, that's not much. No, it's not much at all. Is uh, that while you were serving there or <clears throat> now? Uh, I have no idea what it is now. That's when it was when I was there. I, I can't imagine it changed too, too much. I don't know. Uh, but my mission cost about six to five bucks a month. I think missions now are four hundred dollars. Uh, I think when I was going it was three hundred or three twenty five or it wasn't four hundred. It's gone up. But it was, uh, let's say it was like three hundred and fifty bucks, maybe three hundred dollars ish. But my mission actually cost $65 a month. And so the rest of the money that we would pay would go pay to subsidize some other missionary. Some other expensive mission. Yeah, and some other expensive mission. So 65 bucks a month to live in the Philippines and to serve a mission there. Well, I mean, you, you didn't have to worry about, like, an electric bill or no, a water bill. we didn't have electricity. Or gas. Or we didn't car. have gas. <laughs> didn't see very many cars. Yeah, so it was um all my whole mission was just villages, um villages, small villages, towns and small towns. And so we didn't we did not have one city in our entire mission. Um so there was a big town uh, kind of in the middle that everything branched off of that we would try to go visit every once in a while, but it was a uh, far away since everything was dirt roads, you had to take a long time to drive to those areas. Um we did have to ha- we did have a house help, a, a nana, which was a mother that's the Filipino word, Tagalog, for mother, nanay. Um, and it was a part-time job, part-time to full-time job to care for her. So she would do the cooking, the washing every morning. She would come and um, get some food started, and then she'd go to the market and buy a pig or chickens or part of a cow. Um, the market in the morning was also the basketball um, court in the afternoon and evening. So they'd have to clean uh, clean it up afterwards. Uh, washing clothes all the time because you don't have electricity and washing machines. Guess how you wash your clothes? You don't. You don't. I'm just kidding. Your house up does it, and you scrub it. One time she was sick, and um, yeah, we couldn't get anything done because we had to go go to the market and buy food, um, wash our clothes by hand. You hardly had any time to do anything. So then, a lot of the women weren't working. They were at home doing stuff. Yeah, they were right. at home. Because like you said, she it was a, a full-time job for her, and she probably had to take care of herself. Yeah. So. Yeah. She was, and we had a couple of them. I mean, every place we went to, we had to have one because, like you said, you don't have electricity. So you don't have a refrigerator. You don't have lights. So you've got to make your food from scratch, and that was it. You make a big pot of rice in the morning, and that would last you all day, and then you'd add water to it and warm it up for lunch, and then what was left over, you'd add water to it. Warm it up for dinner. Um, What'd you now, eat with your rice primarily? Beans or potatoes? Uh, never had potatoes. Um, we wouldn't have beans even. I don't even remember. I don't remember even having beans. So just rice. It was just rice, and it would be um, of some vegetable, whether it be the leaves um, or something rice somewhere. And, and what? Rice and bananas. Yeah, no, 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 no. 
No, and then it would be with a beef or pork or a chicken. That was it, a rice and some meat. Um, but all the houses were made out of bamboo. So if you can imagine, uh, like your uh, Gilligan's Island. I, I, I don't know if you guys know Gilligan's Island, but it was a TV show that the people were stranded on the island. All their houses were made out of bamboo. So that was that was it. Every, all the it's houses like, were made um, out of bamboo. Imagine building other a side fort. Of heaven. Have yes. you ever seen that? It's it looks very much like yeah. we're looking at pics right now. It looks very much like those those huts. Yeah, that's and that was our house. So that, that was one of our houses. And, and when you'd have a big giant storm, they'd get blown over, and then you'd rebuild it. And so imagine as a teenager building a clubhouse or a fort. You got to build that, and then that's what well, that's what you would live in. So I, yeah, mean, I never built cool. any that well. Yeah, yeah. well, they get pretty good at it. You have to rebuild them about four or five times a year. So you get pretty good at it. Um, some well, of them, yeah, they just had a typhoon go through the Philippines. Were you ever there in, when there were some major typhoons? Yeah, yeah, huge, huge one. Um, there's there was a big one that we had um, that I'll tell you about that in just a minute. I want to tell you because we didn't have you didn't have electricity or running water, so every morning we'd have to go out with four buckets um, out to the to the community pump. And um, and you'd wait in line, and so we did a lot of missionary work and talking while you're filling up buckets. Um, and cold water always comes out of the ground. It comes out of the ground 60 degrees no matter what time of the year it is. It's 60 degrees, which is like the ocean in California. You go in the ocean. You know, after a while, you can get used to it, but it's super cold at first. So it was four buckets. One was for cooking, and the other three were for dipping a cup and dumping it over your head every morning. So we always looked forward to the different temperatures. Um so in the summer times it was always warm, so we'd always have um, we call it warm showers when it would be raining. So in the Philippines also there's uh, two seasons. You've got hot and hot and rainy. Uh, average temperature year round is about eighty degrees. Um, in the winter it dips down to the seventy eight. In the summer it goes up to about eighty three. Not chilly. <laughs> So it was uh, summer, hot, and rainy. And so, like I said, when, in the summer when it would be raining, um, and it would be warm, rainy, would come in. Uh, everybody would stop their ding, and they'd go outside and just start showering. And so you you would position yourself under an eave of someone's house, uh, or find a banana leaf or uh, a tree that the water it so was being a, caught in. Nice it, little nozzle. Yes, and it would be warm water. And so you would you take your shirt off, and everybody would just start lathering up, and that's and that, that's what you would do, just. In the afternoon, when it would start raining warm, that's that's what you do. That was the warm shower. Um, but in my last year, like the super typhoon you brought up, they just had one. It was uh, I was looking at some of the pictures of it. And it brought back a lot of memories and a lot of weird feelings uh, because I was in the middle of one. Um, the typhoon I was in it lasted three days, um, and we didn't have any warning uh, that it was even coming. You know, you think about like over in the in the East Coast. You know, they had these hurricane watches and they can see it coming. We we had no idea. It was I was just reading my journal earlier today about it. About how we went to bed and we just kept hearing screaming and this big storm in the middle of the night and it turned out that that was it. It was there. Um and then um part of the the roof blew away and then as I was going down the stairs the window had uh, blown in and the glass busted over my head. Excuse me, which um, luckily I didn't get cut, but if it was been like the wood frame around it, I would have put a big old gash in my head. But, um, um, so that was interesting. Um, we went downstairs, put all of our money into, a, an ice box. We did have like a, an igloo, uh, not like a water igloo, but like an ice chest. 
in our house that we could keep some food uh, in there there to last most of the day. So we took uh, some of the food out of the ice chest, uh, put our scriptures and all of our books in it to keep it dry. Um, and then we just waited there. And then slowly by slowly, people would come knocking on the door, let us in because our house had collapsed and blown away. Um, and so by the end of the morning, um, like I said, this whole thing lasted three days. By the end of the morning, there was our, we had, our house was completely full on why, why ours didn't blow away, why everybody else's did. Um, ours was safe and protected, and then it stopped. Um, we went outside, not a cloud in the sky, just horrible, horrible um, damage to everything. Trees knocked over. Um, almost every tree except the coconut trees had blown over. Um, and then as we're sitting there starting to clean up, we just saw this big black wall coming towards us. And it turned out it was the eye of this. You guys were in the eye. Yeah, it was eye. So it stopped and, and we thought it was over, but it was just the, we had gone through the first half and now we are going to the half second time. half. Uh, and the second half, the wind blows the other direction. So it was all, uh, pretty horrible. So it was, um, yeah, it lasted three days and the damage afterwards listening to the news uh, that they were saying it was compared to five atomic blasts. Crazy. Of the damage of the the wind, the wind was a uh, hundred and forty miles an hour during so that storm. As, were, did you guys have any sort of like just emergency preparedness kind of like food set aside? Nope. Or I remember in my mission because in two thousand ten, uh, just like north of my mission, there was the big earthquake in Chile. Yeah, the big earthquake, in Concepcion, yeah. and um, and so they were like especially. Um, my third mission president, and actually, no, all of the mission presidents and their wives were were huge on on making sure that all of the missionaries had emergency backpacks, enough food and water lasting for seventy two hours. Um, the backpacks in case we need to get evacuated in case of like a what do you call it, tsunami. Mm-hmm. But you guys didn't have any of that. I'm I'm sure they do now. Yeah, but no, we didn't. We like I said, we didn't even know it was coming. They were just we had no it. idea. Yeah, we had no idea it was coming. So then we spent an 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 entire month um, doing service afterwards. Uh, we were looking for bodies of people that were missing, um, and just rebuilding, packing up uh, stacks of wood, and um, you'd stack it up because that's what they would start using for their cooking fires until the next storm or whatever. And then you'd re- you just pick up pieces and start rebuilding your house over the next two or three months, and that's what you do. So what was the <clears throat> political climate like while you were there? I remember doing a a country report in elementary school, and I did it on the Philippines. And they've uh, they've had some rough patches. They have. Like all countries. They have. Um, the Philippines is a third world country. Um, the very few, when I was there, liked the government. The others uh, did not. So up in my area, there was a it was a hotbed for civil war. So that's where all the communist guerrillas would hide. They were communist guerrillas. They called them the NPA. They were the National Public Army, um, and they were tons of them up where we were at. Again, I couldn't tell who was who. I mean, I'm I'm sure I've, I've they're met, guerrillas. They're not wearing uniforms. Yes, they're just they just regular people. They just live in these villages, and then they would they would hated the government, and uh, they lived and hid up in the active. jungles. Yeah. Um, I could regularly, every so often, hear battles going on um, in the jungles or in the different villages, uh, see helicopters and tanks roll in, uh, see the smokes from the fires, hear the machine guns fighting. 
um, these NPA would love going into villages and uh, and the towns and killing the um, town officials, the mayor that you know chopped his head off and put it on a stick. Um, or other things and put them in the, the middle of the street and, and say, you know, whoever helps this guy, this is what's going to happen to you and your family. And I just hated the government. Just hated, hated, hated the government. Wanted to, uh, And it was interesting because at the time, you know, it was that's what would happen. You know, similar to what I guess what you hear what ISIS does now. And they just go in and kill people and they're not happy with it. But uh, uh, it was interesting because we'd get warnings from uh, members. You know, they'd come by in the morning and say, hey, tomorrow... Um, you know, stay inside or where are you guys working this week? Oh, well, don't go to this town or, you know, stay over here. And so they would be very helpful. So that always, that always helped out. Because they were guerrilla fighters or because... Don't know. They heard it. Yeah, probably both. I don't know. Probably both. Um, Probably we got a lot of warnings afterwards. We've had to stay inside a couple times because there were battles going on outside. Like I said, the, the tanks and helicopters would come and... Um, and they'd be fighting. Um, and a way that we would get around would be to hitchhike. Um, since I was American, I was the only white person around and within like a 300-mile radius. So everybody knew who I was. Um, everybody knew where I lived. Um, and so it was easy to get around because on these dirt roads, we'd start walking and then we would just hitchhike. So as these um, these uh, jeepneys that would drive by or motorcycles with the sidecarts would go by, uh, we'd hitchhike and they'd it was super easy to just get picked up and go somewhere. Their laws are there. Similar to Mexico, you can't have any guns or ammunition. Um, they're much more stricter in the Philippines. If you get caught with any of that, they'll shoot you on the spot. So they would have random roadblocks uh, in the Philippines because it was so... By checkpoints. Know, yeah, checkpoints, just random. Uh, that you'd go there and there would be a, a, a thing over blocking the road and then there'd be um, the soldiers... Uh, the for the actual soldiers there and their and their the, and their the Filipino of, army. Yeah, the Filipino army would be there. They'd all have masks, so you couldn't see their faces because some of them lived nearby, and it was to protect their identities and stuff. Uh, but they were all there, and they'd all be carrying their big machine guns and their grenade bandolier, um, bandoliers, bandoliers with all the stuff on it. And uh, and so these they would stop us randomly, and they check to make sure you weren't uh, the NPA. Uh, moving guns and ammunition around or to a next hot spot or whatever. Uh, this one time we were hitchhiking. Jeep picked us up. We all got in. there. We were talking to him. Super nice kids and everybody in there. And about halfway um, to where we were going, they said, hey, where are you going? They said, we're, we're going up to this town up here. And they said, great, you know, uh, we can take you halfway there. And uh, so we got to that spot. And as we were going, uh, they lifted up their seats and started pulling out all of their guns and all of their rocket uh grenades all of this stuff and my companion just started and i was thinking that is awesome check that out i've never seen a rocket propelled grenade you know a grenade launcher that is so cool my companion immediately starts crying and hyperventilating because he thinks we're we're now gonna die we are now with them we're gonna hit a checkpoint and we're all gonna get shot on the spot because we get up to a checkpoint and every once in a while there'd be a body or two bodies sitting there that they had shot as uh as an example so he starts crying, uh, and he's like, we're going to die, we're going to die. Oh, mommy, mommy, she's going to miss me. You know, he's the, the Jeep pulls off, drives down into this village. They let us out, and um, uh, or they all get out, and the driver says, hey, I'll now take you to your place, and if you tell anybody where we're at, well, you know, we know where you live, we'll come back and we'll kill you. So the driver then took us back out and took us to exactly right to our appointment where we were going to go, and uh, and that was it. And and it was just super weird. And I just knew when we were doing that, um, 
because we never saw a checkpoint, but they turned off the main road down to this this hidden road that went to their village. And um like, and a, I, like a guerrilla camp. Yes, yeah. And so I just knew, you know, but I had been kidnapped. I'm like, crap. I'm never going to see my family again because they're not. You they're, broke rule number one. I broke rule number one. Yeah, they they don't have any money to pay the the thing, and so and so. But they, um, yeah, they but they took us back, and and it turned out to where um, it was not uncommon. So that had happened that they would come to our house, knock on our door, and say, "Hey, where are you where are you going today?" And they would pick us up, and they would drive us, and then when we would get to a um, a roadblock. Uh, it was my job to stick my head out the window because everybody knew who I was in my white shirt in the American and wave and yell to him and say, "Hey, how you guys doing? You know, we're going to we're going to the appointment." And then they would wave us through. And so it got to the point where they would take us and uh, we kept asking them, "Hey, you know, it's it's super dangerous that you're doing this. You know, what if something happens? We're going to get killed. We're supposed to be teaching the gospel here." And he says, "That won't happen. God's protecting you." Because you're you're a missionary, God's protecting you. God won't let anything bad happen to you or us, and that's why we he pick won't you up. Protect you, yeah, and and so they, that's why they would pick us up because they took it as you know, if I'm protected, it would protect them. So that was so that happened a couple of times. Missionaries play an active part in the civil war of the Philippines. Yeah, it was 90s. not fun. It was not fun. It was scary at first. After a while, I was like, wow, how how much longer is this going to last? Um, swung on a vine like Tarzan, Braden. Have you ever done that? Not on a vine. You've seen the movie Tarzan. I have seen the movie Tarzan. Have you ever wanted to swing on a vine like Tarzan? Um, I think so, yeah. Apparently, I always thought that was every person's dream to do. One time we were out uh, going for a picnic, going through the dense jungles. We saw those vines and I thought, hey, do you guys ever swing on these vines? And everybody was like, no, why? Why would we do that? I'm like, you don't like Tarzan? Wouldn't you ever want to do that? They're like, no. So I had to show them with the machetes, cleared out a way, and I climbed up a tree and grabbed a vine and started swinging on the vines. Super fun. Everybody was doing it. Um, that was one of the last times I did it, that picture that I was showing you, because as it was going up, I fell about 10 feet flat on my back. And when I landed on the ground, all of the, the bamboo shoots that I had cut down with a machete through the, through the jungle, all these punji sticks... Had stuck up like all around me, like I had landed so perfect on the ground in between all these razor sharp sticks. Good that we, idea that we had cleared away. Yeah, again, stupid things to do, but uh, yeah, it didn't happen. Uh, and then shortly after doing that, we had to leave because we heard uh, machine gun shooting um, right after that, so we had to leave. Um, uh, I ate a dog. Do you see that picture? Yeah, there's a picture of a dog head on a plate. Now, do you see how sharp his teeth is? Yeah, he he's not. He looks like Brain's dog, Emma. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with bigger teeth. Well, normally the gums. But actually, it, I think it just looks like your dog because there's no hair yeah, on this yeah, dog. Yeah. It's yeah, you burn the hair off. You 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 cook the dog over fire real quick because that burns the hair off, melts the hair off, and and then you can boil it or whatever. Crockpot. Um, yeah, but then uh, look how sharp the sharp teeth are because the gums have cooked up. They pulled up. It and looks like around. a mean big rat. And they do. They look like. And there's only one one kind of a dog in the Philippines. It's a mutt dog. They've all just look disgusting. Um, one time we were at a house, and because all the dogs are mutts, um, this house had a super nice looking dog. Do you ever hear their story? Yes. 
Super nice looking dog, and it was the nicest dog I've seen in the Philippines. Uh-huh. And so I was complimenting Golden Lab. it. No, I don't. Know. I don't know what it. No, it was a kind of a almost like a, a poodle, like a larger poodle. It was white curly hair. It was a super nice what? looking dog. And um, and I was petting it, and I just kept saying, "Wow!" Again, I was just amazed that I'd seen not a mutt dog. So I was just really saying, "What a great nice dog this is!" And so they invited us over for dinner that night, and we're sitting there and we're eating. And um, and I say, I'm like, hey, where's the dog? And they're like, um, that's it. We're eating. You know. On your plate. And they they said, well, you had hinted pretty loudly that this was such a great dog and such a wonderful dog. We we got the hint, and that's why we invited you for dinner. And they paid a lot. I felt horrible because they paid a lot of money for this dog. And, and I was like, no, no, no. I was I didn't want to eat it. I was just admiring how wonderful that way, dog was. By the way, it tastes very good. Yeah, they taste like chicken. There's nothing wrong with it. So we've eaten dog. I buried a baby out in the jungle, uh, dug a grave for this baby with a stick and with my own hands. That's another great story that I can tell you later. It doesn't sound very great. No, super sad, but um, but uh, you can't. The, the cemeteries, they were owned by the, the Catholic Church, so you couldn't you couldn't get buried in the Catholic Church. And so these, when uh, if you're not Catholic, and uh, the tradition and, and culture there is if you died, you'd have a giant a giant party for about six days. And then the people that had died would host this party and pay for all this food. They're already so poor, they couldn't afford to invite everybody and, and ship everybody up to do all of this. And so, secretly, this baby was born and it died like a day later. And so we had, in the in the early early morning, we secretly went out and and uh, buried this baby out in the jungle. Um, but the people, super humble, the most humble people I've ever met. I you know, a lot of people say that when you go to other places. But um, they really, they literally have nothing and are so happy. Um, you know, most people here need, they need stuff to be happy. They have nothing uh, but each other and they're super happy. My dad would send me uh, $5 a week in my letters uh, that I would get. And that $5 would, would pay for a giant family home evening that we'd have every Monday night for the branch and everybody. We'd, we'd host about 100 to 150 people every Monday night to a buy a cow or a couple pigs and sodas for everybody and again five dollars would feed that many people and uh and so we'd have it's like these, almost better than the loaves and the fishes yeah and so we'd 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 have this big party and play games and then we'd have this devotional or um teach a, a discussion and people F-A-G. would have yeah people would have no idea what's been going on other than uh we would do that so they're starving for information about uh christ and the restored gospel were a lot of them catholic uh, a lot of them had been catholic but um, did you find that a lot of people knew about Jesus Christ? Yes. Yeah, the 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 biblical Jesus Christ. That's um, cuz of the Spaniards. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cuz the Spaniards uh, conquered. The because Philippines. the Philippines, they were they were uh, conquered by the Spanish, the Japanese, the Chinese. And um but the members there were either like 110% active, super active or they were not active at all, but they were super gung-ho. Uh, a lot of times we'd go do um discussions or referrals and the people had already read the book of mormon they had already had knew everything about the gospel because the members would teach them so it was pretty neat that uh we would start talking about joseph smith and they would interrupt and say did he see a light from the st- from the heavens coming down and and brighter than the you the yeah and so they would they would and I'd be like yes and so they were they were awesome i'd just like to testify of what you just said yeah so it'd be great um, one time we were walking through this rice field in this area that we hadn't been to in a long time. And so we were walking through it. And so, uh, there was no trees cause it was all rice, but you can see this white guy coming 
and uh, and so all the workers and all the kids were coming out and uh, and were saying, "Hey, Joe, hey, Elder." And so we had told all the kids saying, "Hey, you know, go, you know, the missionaries are coming. We're going to talk about Jesus in the town little town center there." Um, hey, can you run in and go tell your parents? Let's go meet there because we're going to, you know, Elder Cedarstrom is going to be there and we're going to talk about Jesus. And so we got there and we gave a, we had a discussion. What about your Filipino companion? He was cool too, but not as cool as me. I <laughs> <laughs> just chicken. No, I always, I every one of my companions were, but because because it was a rarity, nobody, nobody. Do the Filipinos not know as much about Jesus? Your companions. No, they do. Absolutely. It's just better coming from it. Well, no, white I would man. use that to my advantage because they knew who I was, and and because I was white, I was like a movie star. Hey, do you want to hear something in English? And then he start saying something in English, and he just start talking about Jesus in Tagalog. Yes, I did that, but, but in Spanish. People like different stuff. You know? Yeah, gotcha. No, but I I would use that uh, to my advantage, and and everybody would want to, and I I they, I would I would make a trade, so I would always talk about something in the United States, and then I would say, hey, well, you know, we'll talk about something in in Arizona, United States, and then we're going to talk about, uh, you know, a, a special message from our heavenly Father. So we we'd get there, and there was there were sixty people there. We had a we had a first discussion with sixty people, and and uh, and uh, committed half of them to baptism. Sixty. Uh, Half no, so sixty were there, and then we had committed about thirty to baptism during that first discussion. Again, they were just super humble. Um, what was interesting about that? Ed, we'd set them for December twenty fifth. Uh, we were going to have a white Christmas down at the river. Which I thought we had a picture down to the river. We'd go down the river, have all of our baptisms I down to the river. Down to the river and pray. Yeah, and um, and they were all good. They were they were great. A lot of them um, had stayed active, and and so that that was the main thing. We wanted to make sure that they had a testimony that they want to be baptized for the right reasons. So all right, and then you got you encountered a pretty big uh, obstacle in your mission. You like almost died. Yeah, yeah, pretty big obstacle. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so in that my last area where we had that super typhoon, um, because we were doing all the service afterwards. Um, I got a little lax on my being safe with what I'm eating or what members or people were giving us to eat or drink. And I wasn't being careful. Uh, All the water was being, was contaminated. And, um, and so I got super sick for about two weeks, had a super high fever. I thought it was the flu, had uh, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, all the good stuff. Uh, Eventually I had to go to a clinic because I wasn't getting better. So I went to this clinic, um, they saw me, brought me in, put me in bed, hooked me up to an IV, and said, I've got to stay there. They took some blood and told me I need to stay there overnight, and then they'd tell me my test results in the morning. Well, in the morning, they came back, and they said, um, we took your blood, and we tested it, and we found out that you tested positive that you have diarrhea. It tested that from your blood. <laughs> Exactly. Not from so, the stool. So when they said that, I immediately thought, "This I just wasted my whole my whole evening and day here." And so I'd uh, I had to pay them a lot of money because that Based was you, you had that diarrhea. was the joke that we had. Yeah, that uh, wherever we went, I always paid double because it was the white tax. And um, so we paid them the money and something your Filipino companion did not have to pay. That is correct. That is correct. So that was one of the benefits, benefits being of being a native. A native. Yeah, so that was the first clinic. Um, after that, 
um, we had a, we went farther away um, uh, by this jeep about four hours away to another to a bigger to the big town I was telling you about to the clinic that was there. And uh, they took blood tests and kept me there overnight. And they actually came back and said, well, you have typhoid fever, uh, which I'd never heard of before. But apparently you get it in um, swampy areas or water. It's a, it's a contamination of water food. It's a, a horrible, almost like a food poisoning, but it's a really bad version of it. And, uh, and if it's not taken care of and not treated, uh, you can actually go into a coma and then eventually you die from it. Um, so I'd had it for probably three weeks there. And um, and they'd sent me home with some meds and told me to come back in, in a week. So I came back. Uh, they took more blood tests, um, and they said that my levels were worse. Uh, and uh, and by the way, that I not only had my levels got worse for typhoid, that uh, I you now still had, had diarrhea. I still had diarrhea. Yes, that was still not solved. Did they charge you for telling you that again? <laughs> well, because I already knew that. I had actually told them that, and so they had just confirmed <laughs> like, that look, I guys, did. <laughs> I. Uh... That mess that's in, yeah, that mess that's in the room right over there. Yeah, that's still from me. Um, uh, but the levels are worse, but they also told me I had hepatitis. So not only you're super sick, you got worse. You now have, in the meantime, your immune system has come down and you now have you now have hepatitis. Uh, so I called the mission president and told them what was going on. And he said, hey, we'll come another two hours away and come to the mission home. And uh, we'll take care of you and we'll... Uh, arrange a bus to Manila to get to a real hospital and be taken care of. So eventually, um, and which was interesting, while I was there at the mission home, um, I had met my mission president while I was in the MTC. It was really cool to be able to meet him and, and to go over. He was one of the, one of the younger uh, mission presidents. He was 26. What? He was a native. He was 26. Yeah. And uh, apparently he grew up in the church and was in the CES and was a, had his degree, and, and, and they needed um, locals there to... You know, to raise up and be leaders of the church. Were there any missionaries that were older than him? Uh, well, twenty-five. <laughs> you got to be twenty-five, right? So uh, I had a companion when you're twenty-five. Yeah. Well, if you start when you go at twenty-five, then maybe you'd be twenty-seven. But anyways, we we hit it off. The MTC was great, and um, <laughs> buddies. Yeah, just buddies. Yeah, but <laughs> when I got to his house and I was super sick, I I was it like like punch in the gut. He had told me he goes, Elder Cedarstrom. Goes, you know why you're sick, don't you? And I go, No, why? <laughs> And he says, there's something you haven't repented of. And I was like, what? And, uh, and I said, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've, I've gotten everything taken care of. And he just, he, just, he just knew that I had done something that I hadn't repented of. And so that was why I was sick, that I was being punished. So I so I'd carried that on. I, and, I, and it really hurt my feelings that he had felt that way. And, and I couldn't change his mind. Um, uh, You're not playing basketball with him anymore. Nope. Uh, so eventually went down to Manila. Um, I was there for over a month being treated in the hospital. They had hooked me up and was taking blood and was just finding all sorts of stuff. And they got all my levels kind of taken care of. Um, but I was still really, really sick. It was super, super painful. Uh, while I was there, uh, I had also found out that I had uh, malaria. Um, and then I had amoebic dysentery. So I had amoebas in me. They were just eating away my stomach and... All of the stomach lining of your guts was uh, being uh, eaten up. So what does an amoeba look like? It's very tiny. Hmm. And it just gets, they're very hard to get get rid of. Have you ever seen Osmosis Jones? Yes. Like O.J. Simpson? <laughs> no, no, like Osmosis Jones. No. Oh, it's a cartoon. It's about your immune system. Yep, so it's uh, they're really hard to get rid of. Sometimes you never get rid of them completely. But I was on medication for about five years, and I had to be tested about every three, four months 
check my levels and, and, and get on that. Uh, but it would uh, it'd screw up all of your guts and stuff like that. So I wasn't doing good. Felt horribly sick. Was in a lot of pain. My I wasn't supposed to walk uh, up or down stairs um, because your guts are held together by a mucus lining and hold all of your stuff in so place. So your, your, your like your internal tissue, yeah, was not there, and so everything would just get squished. And um, and so I had to be super super careful. The day I arrived in Manila to get treated was the day the church doctor left uh, and was done with his mission. And then the new church doctor didn't get there till a month later. And um, and then when he got there, he's like, oh, we need to send you home. So eventually, so I got home. Interesting, while I was in the hospital, had a crazy dream about some girl that I used to date. I had completely forgotten about her, wasn't even thinking of her at all. She wasn't even on my, like I had... Uh, your your heart was... was elsewhere. Closed. Yeah, I had about three or four other prospects that I... That I was regularly writing and knew that if I got back, that I I would go through my prospects and I would be safe. But while I was sick, I had I had this dream and, she, and this girl was in it, and um, and I hadn't been thinking of her. But it was interesting that I had I had this uh, dream with her uh, that I used to date and I dumped. It was super weird. Uh, then I came home uh, to Arizona and then I had about a seven to eight month uh, recovery from there. So I went and saw an infectious disease doctor and and they took uh, good care of me. But through all of that. Um, I served in five different missions. I had served in five missions. So I was called to the the Philippines Alagan mission, um, ended up serving for four months in the Missouri Independence Mission, waiting for my visa. I, my mission president called me and said, Elder Cedarstrom, you've been here four months. Um, you have an option of staying here or being reassigned uh, somewhere in the North America. What do you want? I said, well, I'll just stay here. I'm having a good time. It was awesome. Um, and then two weeks later, he called me back and he said, uh, hey, you're, uh, we just got your call. Your visa went through. Do you want to go to the Philippines or do you want to stay? I was like, let's go. So I was like, let's go to the Philippines. That's where I was called. So that was in the Philippines, a login mission until I got sick. When I transferred me uh, to the hospital, I was in the Quezon City mission. Um, but that mission wasn't where the hospital was. Uh, the, the hospital I was going to was actually in the Manila mission. So then I was transferred a month later over to the Manila mission. When I came home, I was reassigned to the the Arizona Tempe mission for me to get better. So I, was, I thought that was pretty cool that I'd, I'd actually, uh, I have five letters of being assigned to a different mission, to five different missions. I, I, I thought that was pretty rare. You should frame them all on the wall right next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, they, they kicked me out of this mission. I, I went through five different missions. Not like high school. You go to the. The different you went to the troublemaker schools. All right, so now we're going to talk a little bit about post-mission, specifically the D word, dating. Dating, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your post-mission, because you were sick. You were sick for a while. You couldn't do a whole lot when you first got home. Ladies wanted nothing to do with you. What's that? Ladies wanted nothing to do with you. Uh, no, not at that time. No, I was all right. They'd come and hang out with me. I was sick. I was a charity. They'd come over and visit with me. <laughs> and charity case. Watch a, a good VHS video with me. No, but I enjoyed uh, pre-mission. I loved dating. Dated lots of different girls. I met this one girl, Rachel, on the beach of Rocky Point, Mexico. A sweet little uh, tender morsel there. My mom's name is Rachel. What a coincidence. Mm. This girl's Rachel, too. Got along very well with her. Dated her. Same uh, Rachel. 
Yes, that happens to be. Uh, I liked her a lot, uh, and then I dumped her for absolutely no reason. I dumped her for no reason. I was not cool. Jerk I was, face. I was a big jerk for that, and um, and honestly, to this day, I, I really... It's because you wanted to experience other... I don't know. You wanted she, to date other people? No, it was cool, because she was she when she lived up in North Mesa, I went to Gilbert High, and she went to Mountain View. It was cool that I had a girlfriend from a different school. So cool. Um, I, she went. I, I think it was that she was invited to go on vacation with a family and to babysit for a couple of weeks in California, and she went away. And then I just moved on. I, 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 that's what I think happened. Got bored. Waiting. I, I don't know. I needed somebody to date, and she was gone. So I was a jerk. I, I dumped her and um, and didn't look back. So, um, and like I said, I had um, I had four to five, uh, three, four uh, sweet prospects that I would pursue when I get home off my mission. That I. That I would that I would write. Um, like I said, I had that crazy dream um, that I was when I was sick that I was doing something and she was in it. This Rachel from Rocky Point was in my dream, uh, and I thought it was so weird that uh, I'd, when I woke up, I'm like, "That is really weird. I wonder what she's doing. I wonder what she's up to. I haven't seen her in a couple of years, of course, because like, I dumped her. But uh, I always thought I'm 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 going to look her up. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look find her, her up." In the phone book? Uh, well, back then, that's what we had to do. You know, we didn't yeah. have the internet. We didn't. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to. I, I didn't know where you were going to look her up. I couldn't text the yearbook. her. I know where she lived. Um, her dad, her dad and my best friend's dad were best friends. And so they. they yearbook. Yeah. So we. So I knew Different I would knew how to find her to track her down. Um, but that, but that kind of. Um, yeah. Because you guys ended up going to Mexico together because your dad and her. My best Her friend's dad, dad and your best friend's dad were. Yeah, that's why they were there. Yeah, they did a family trip together, and I was going with my buddy, and um, and so that's how I met her on the beach down there, and it was fun. And then um, but uh, that but because of that dream and uh, what had happened in it, that was there was just one girl. There was only one girl when I got home that I was going to look up, that I didn't care about the others, the other prospects that I had. I was gonna I was gonna look her up. So. Uh, you're right. When I got home, I was sick. It was hard to date. I was still recovering. Um, I still dated a bunch of my friends. I had them around, and uh, we watched movies and stuff. But uh, uh, but those prospects initially weren't feeling so well because uh, <laughs> I wanted. Um, I just want. I was just interested in that one girl. So that girl, uh, Rachel, that I liked a lot. So I dated Rachel. Uh, eventually, I she attended my buddy's. Uh, his sister got married. So because they were good family friends, they showed up. And uh, she was there, and so I went over, and I said hi to her, and she was super surprised to see me. She Good was, surprise or bad said, surprise? hey, you jerk. Uh, slapped you on the face. Kind of. She, yeah. You know, she wasn't, she's not one to mince words. So, um, and I said, hey, we should go out. I'd like to take you out. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm <laughs> not going to. And uh, And eventually she said, yeah, hey, you can come hang out with me and my friends. And so for about three months... I I dated her and all of her friends, and I was reading this in my journal today. That oh, I, like as a group, collectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay. She, she I'm would, thinking you dated her friend, and then you no, went no, on no, to no. Her you date them all at the same time. Like you would all go on like polygamous <laughs> dates, or it was like, hey, we're going to be here hanging out. You're welcome to join us. And so I would go there, and I was reading this in my journal today. Uh, the the first place we went to, there was about thirty people at this party, and she just happened to be there, and she didn't talk to me the whole time. And I just laid there in pain on the floor by the couch and just was kind of talking to some people. And uh, she came over but still wouldn't kind of talk to me. So it was like for three months 
she was giving me the cold shoulder because I was a big jerk, and and eventually I had to, you know, eventually to eventually she got to where she put her guard down. So you were going on this, you were pursuing this. I was stalking her person, yeah. because of a dream. Yes. All right. It was a good and dream. And because he liked her. And I and I liked her, yeah. Not that much because he dumped her and then didn't think about her. He dumped her because he was a bored teenage boy. That's true. Yeah, you can't argue with that. That's what happened. All right. But uh, but we dated. It took me a long time to kiss her. It probably took me almost three to four months before I could kiss her. I was super, super nervous. That's how much I really liked her. Um, I liked her a lot. And it just, I, I mean, I would plan circumstances to where I would... Where I would say, hey, this would be a sweet move, and then it would, you know, and then it could lead into a kiss, and then that would be great. And then I would chicken out, and it would never happen. Rachel's dad and my best friend's dad had bets. They had bet money and would get angry at me because they would set dates on when I would do it, and then I, I it would lasted so long that the pot of who was going to win on when we kissed was getting so big. <laughs> but on May 14th of 1994, at 5.30 in the morning, Braden, I knelt down by her bedside, declared my love for her and proposed to her, and gladly she said yes. This is before or after you kissed her? After, I, I'd kissed her, uh, it was like the day before Christmas. We took her out, and then I was super nervous. Christmas Eve. And then it probably took me another week to kiss her again. Uh, yeah, it was great. I did the 12 days of Christmas for you. Oh, no, you weren't. That was my brother, Sean. <laughs> Were you there? Uh, yeah, I was I thinking was I had a sidekick. I did something. Twelve days. I'd left stuff on her doorstep for twelve days in a row, and uh, and so it was. Because uh, you got that little pillow on your guys' bed, and it says something about twelve days of Christmas. The twelve days of Christmas. Yeah, that I did that, and and then yeah, it led to a kiss. And the first kiss was actually none of my doing. I, the the last <laughs> who thing, kissed her for you? Well, it was. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like one of my smooth plans that oh, led up to the kiss. Okay. It, the it last was thing natural. was this. It was a fancy date. Was the last thing that I was picking her up on, and I was in a tuxedo. She's in a super nice. How dress. long had you guys been dating before this? Twelve days of shenanigans. Um, it was probably five months. So you were planning on this twelve days of Christmas leading up to a proposal? No, 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 not a proposal. It was just leading up to this this fancy date at, at Christmas time. But when I was picking her up, her friend Kristen was there taking pictures, and so she was taking pictures of us, and she says, kiss, kiss. Okay. And so then it was, well, all right, and then we kissed. So that was like the official, Ooh. yeah. Like I said, it wasn't planned. I didn't have a cool thing leading. It just happened. Shout out to Kristen. Yeah, thanks. So that was it. And then, um, um, like I said, we set a date for September-ish. That was in May, set a date in September. Interesting side note. Um, I did the manly thing and talked to her dad about my intentions, and he was a little surprised and asked if she also felt the same way. And I said, yes, uh, I'm pretty sure of it. And he smiled, and he, and he said, that, well, then you have my blessing, and he was excited for us. Uh, I had learned much later that the interesting thing I didn't know was that just two weeks prior to me talking to him and getting his blessing, that two weeks prior to that, he had a talk with Rachel and asked if she sees um, this going anywhere, and how serious we were. How serious we were, and she had said that we were just having fun and not not very serious. So what changed? I don't know, maybe my sweet moves. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Like I said, interesting side note. Well, it's interesting because what happened after? So you proposed. Yeah. And then what happened after that? She said yes. It was great. Uh, we're getting close to the wedding date. Um, we had picked out. 
invitations, uh, I think. Um, she had not picked out a dress yet. I kept asking her, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Anyways, uh, she wasn't doing anything um, to get ready for it and to prepare for our wedding. So I called it off and I took the ring back because she was unsure. And um, and I planned on not talking to her for a while. Um, I said, you know, hey, we better call this off. Clearly you're not interested. Took the ring and I said, uh, we probably shouldn't talk anymore. And then um, I called her the next day. I, I couldn't not call her, so I called her the next day and then every day after. So, What did you talk about on the phone? Like, hey, what's up? Okay. Dan Becks. One last night. Yeah. No, we went to, we went to the hockey games. They didn't yeah, have the Diamondbacks back then. 1998. So, I don't know. Hey, I, I don't know what we'd talk about. That was a long time ago. But anyway, so I'd call her because I loved so, her and I wanted to, I wanted it to work. Do you like me? Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, come around Valentine's Day, 1995. I think we were watching a movie on my couch, and I think I just slipped the ring back on her <laughs> finger <laughs> and then asked her again. And she's like, all right. Sitting on the couch? I, I think so. It was like that, or we were cuddling, or I don't know. You didn't, like, get off the couch and kneel down? No, no, no. Just... It was smooth. It was, hey, you like how that feels on your finger? Yeah, and then in June, June 3rd, we got married in the temple for time and all eternity. And she's been making me pay for it ever since. For dumping her, I mean. Hmm. Sweet. Sweet. And then I came along in 1997. That's right. Yeah, marriage is awesome, and being married is awesome, and having kids is even better. Having kids is a great blessing. So persistence is key. Is that what you're saying? I guess. Uh, you got to wear them down. Yeah. It's where they just have to marry you. Yeah. All right. All right. Until all the other prospects are gone. Maybe I just wore her down until nobody else was available for her. And so she had to pick me. Took up so much of her time. She had no time for anybody else ever. That's right. Yeah. You you just clogged the the landline so no one else could call and ask her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now you had double. You had you had call waiting. You could switch over. Alrighty, awesome. All right, so now we're gonna come back a little bit to talking about your job. Tell us a little bit. Kind so of what you're talking about. I am a retirement financial advisor. Like I mentioned that a little bit. So I work with people preparing to retire. Those who have already retired, I help them move a portion of their hard-earned money that is at risk in the market and put it in a safe place. Um, in my accounts, when the market goes up, they make money. When the market goes down, they don't lose a dime. I originally was going to school to get a degree in criminal justice, um, and I was going to be a U.S. Marshal. I was working three jobs, worked at UPS, uh, went to school in the morning, did MCI, um, waited uh, tables at a pizza Italian restaurant. Um, so after we got married, I only saw my wife for a couple hours a day. Um, so we were super, super tired. Um, one time we went to a date, we went to Freestone Park, put a blanket out on the, the grass and we're out there gazing at the stars and, uh, talking and, and each other's uh, eyes, gazing into each other's eyes. And, um, and then I woke up and she wasn't there. <laughs> I had fallen asleep while we were talking and she had just gotten up and, and walked and left. And so I woke up and for about 15 minutes, she she just stayed hidden. I was just there all by myself. Um, you were a bum yeah. at the park. <laughs> so I was just there. 
Um, yeah, so I fell asleep during that. Uh, one time we were actually um, kissing in bed, um, and I had fallen asleep while we were kissing. That's how tired I was one time from from working <laughs> and doing it. Hard to believe. Okay. Just saying. Um, yeah, so my, and, and so I got it. So I was going to school to do that. Um, UPS was paying for it. I had a music scholarship for that too. But uh, my wife's father does the financial planning, and Rachel and her dad kind of ganged up on me and encouraged me to work with, uh, go to work with him where I'd be much safer. And, and I've been yeah, doing it ever you were since. Planning on being a U.S. Marshal. You're planning on being a cop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to be in law enforcement, and part of the waiting list was uh, it was like a thirteen year waiting list to be U.S. Marshal, and um, part of the uh, the was that because U.S. Marshal had just come out or fugitive? No, no, there Tommy were there were actually only th- there wasn't very many U.S. Marshals. There were actually only like thirteen in the state of Arizona. There were some in Tucson, a couple up in Flagstaff, and then here in Phoenix. So there wasn't a lot of open slots for it, and uh, and part of part of the requirement is that you had to have. Um, um, eight years of civil service, so working with uh, like a, a municipality department. or a local, and you kind of get all your on-the-job training doing that, and then they'd call you up. Uh, and so, but I, I never did. I had a big foot in the door. I had a, a neighbor that had um, worked there. and but uh, Is that was, why you wanted to do it, or was there other reasons you wanted to be a U.S. Marshal? Uh, no, uh, I just thought it was cool, you know, being a federal bounty hunter, kicking indoors and doing whatever you need to do. I mean, it wasn't just a an Arizona police. It was a federal a federal officer, a bounty hunter, chasing people escaped from prison. And so, I don't know. It was, it was something that I wanted to do. Or you get stuck on an airplane and you're a air marshal. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't want to be an air marshal, no. no or you're no, stuck no. transporting criminals <clears throat> from prison to another prison. Yeah. <clears throat> so, that's, so that's how I got into it. So that's it. how you got into it, yep. because of... Yeah, took some extra classes and uh, got some licensing, and and I've been doing it ever since, and it's been great. So instead of kicking indoors and not knowing what's there, uh, I can knock on doors, and people are accepting and welcome me in. So are you a CPA? No, that is a tax person. Just a money person. No, they just they just do book work <laughs> it, for taxes. It's all money. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You've been saying a lot of letters with C, you know, Cedarstrom certified. So he's a CRP certified gotcha. retirement planner. Sure. Gotcha. Sure. He's also a DAD <clears throat> dad. Yes. All right. So you're C- you're a CRP, a DAD. You're also a bishop. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a bishop to wrap um, this shindig up. A little bit about being a bishop. What would you say? Because as a bishop, you get to interact with a lot of different people in the congregation. Um, figure out. You kind of explain what you do. Um, what's interesting about being a bishop is that I get to see so much more good things happening and miracles that are happening and that are going on in the entire ward other than just what's going on in my life or my family's life. So it's you're you're involved and you know about what's going on with everybody, um, which is really, really cool. Because, I mean, having a, a good family, uh, which we do, and, and cool things that happen is great, but then 
you get to be a part of and be a catalyst for other people doing good things, making major changes in their lives, trying to do things better, trying to get back on a on, on a better track, and then seeing, you know, the inside workings, the inner workings of how the Spirit's working and, and changing your lives and seeing the atonement work um, personally for them. I mean, there's some really amazing uh, miracles and things that happen that I get to be a part of and, uh, and experience. Um, one of the main things I've, I've learned as a bishop is um, listening to the Spirit. Um, it just seemed that when you become a bishop, and Brian, I've talked to your dad about this, is that uh, when you get to be a bishop, there's, there's, it's like a radio station that never gets turned off in your brain. The spirit is constantly, uh, I'm constantly thinking of members of the ward, how members are doing, what they're doing, um, who needs help, who needs assistance, who needs a drop by, um, listening to the spirit of, um, uh, of just you know who who you just need to stop by and visit who do I need to call who can uh, anything like that so I I learned that listening to the spirit doing it following it uh, the spirit tells you what to say uh, who to visit uh, you can't turn it off your dad has joked to me a couple of times that how how well he sleeps now that as soon as he was released that he sleeps a lot better <laughs> now that the mantle is put on somebody else's shoulders. Um, so we've joked about that a couple of times but I'm constantly Brain's, thinking of that. Brain's dad was bishop. In the same ward prior to, yeah, prior to you, Bishop Cedarstrom, and out. and we had joked about your dad being a bishop. But I mean, I think everybody in the ward joked about when your dad got released because your dad worked. If you'd listened to episode, yeah, I don't know, five, six, five or six, seven. five or six with uh, Matt Watson, um, he's by by profession he's a, a counselor he's he was born to be a bishop that's what he was so good at counseling and doing that and so as a ward we would always joke about well whoever's got to follow you know matt watson the you know whoa the whoa whoa is him and uh yeah and here's me whoa no we're on the same boat everybody's moving one foot in front of the other. We're all going in the same direction. So it's good. A lot of wonderful blessings that go along with that. It's a good boat to be in. Yes, it is. What is it called? The old the old boat of Zion. The old ship of Zion. 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 What a, yeah, Elder what a, Cook. <laughs> or no, other Ballard. Ballard. Yeah. Zion, old some Zion. The old ship Zion. Yep. Yeah, we're all in it together. We're all imperfect people trying to do the very best we can, helping each other, lifting each other, ministering to each other. All right. As we're wrapping it up, let's hear favorite books. What are some good books you like? Um, are we talking non-religious books? or <laughs> We'll divide it into two <laughs> categories. <laughs> All right. If it's non-religious, it's Star Wars. Uh, that is true. I'm Hobbies. A, I'm a Star, Star Wars, Wars junkie. Hobbies is Star Wars. I probably have on my Audible account over 20 Star Wars books. Uh, Darth Plagueis. Braden, if you're looking for a great Star Wars book to read, Darth Plagueis is my favorite. Um, that's a great book. Uh, if anybody wants to talk Star Wars lore and Star Wars world and... Fandom. Yeah. Uh, I would love to do that. That would be fantastic. Um there's a lot of other great books. I like Bednar's um, One by One. Uh, there's another great one that just came out about um, uh, the priesthood. Um, 
that I can't think of the name of it right now. Melchizedek Priesthood? Yeah, but it's um, by one of the new apostles that just wrote it, and it's about the priesthood, and and most of it is on the Oath and the Covenant and and the priesthood. Uh, Super, super good book. Uh, Actually, our stake president, President Decker, gave it to me as a gift, and I read it, and I loved it so much, and I bought it for... Uh, my counselors and the elders corn president and the high priest group leader and uh it was a great great book um that was a good book um i don't know he listens to a lot of books yeah, he doesn't I, really i don't read read I'm sorry I, I do a lot of driving i go out of town wednesday morning come home friday night so i've got three and a half hour drive out of town wednesday morning and a three and a half hour drive back so i listen to uh, uh i listen to all my books Awesome. And now, as per usual, we will end with a quick story. This, sadly, Braden was not there. Um, it's all right. However, your uncle was there. Aaron, Gabe, and Carl. Carl went. So I don't know where this came from. I think it came from watching Survivor Man with uh, Les Stroud. This was bef- This was like the legit Man vs. Wild. Yeah, and right. you were you were obsessed with it. I mean, I've always liked camping too, and so I had this idea to go live off the land. And I had read some books. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always trying to learn about <laughs> like what was edible and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And so we had this. I, I had this idea. I said, "Hey, Dad, let's go live off the land for a weekend." He said, "Okay." And so Aaron came because you know he's a outdoorsman. Uh, however, Aaron and his boys were not living off the land. Would you remember what we prepared you? to do? Oh, yeah. We we're going to fish. We were planning on fishing. Um, we brought fishing gear to go fishing so we can catch fish. Because we were fish. by a river. But just like a week prior, there was a big storm through that passed through that area. And they had a and big flood, and it washed everything downstream, yeah. so there were no fish to be fished. Yeah. And, and you wouldn't let me bring backup food. Because that's how... I was dedicated. He was dedicated. We're going to live off the land. So we didn't have backup food. We had a pitcher that we can get water and boil water in. And our guns. And and our fishing gear and guns. I had just been... I think it was the Christmas prior. You gave me my first gun. It was a twenty two four ten combo. Break barrel. Combo, yeah. A single shot. And so we went out walking that first evening when we get there. And I see a little red bird. Out the, we hadn't seen in like any dove or any quail. Well, or we anything. had found some ducks. Oh yeah, that you had tried shooting and didn't even get close, and you would scam away. And then we went and go down river even farther, tried shooting them and 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 couldn't. And um, we went swimming. It was freezing cold. We did not go swimming. I'm pretty sure we did. No. I remember. I remember. I did not shoot the ducks because I did not want to swim in that freezing cold water to go <laughs> to get go the get duck. It? Well, anyway, that, so we that would have been a good dinner. Shooting a duck, even yes. though it was illegal, we had to eat something because you were determined that we had to shoot something yes. or catch something to eat it. Anyways, you keep walking. I see this little tiny red bird <coughs> out in the distance, and I asked Aaron. I said, "Hey, Aaron, can I hit this bird from here with my four ten? He goes, "Yeah, shoot it." I shoot it. It's seriously like the size of my fist. It was like a finch. It like yeah. wasn't a real bird. It was a finch. And so that was what I had it for dinner. It wasn't even close that big. It was when you, after you. Yeah. Okay, af- yeah, but the bird in, like, before I, I, I cleaned it, 
was the size of my fist. Once I cleaned it, it was the size like of a chicken half nugget. A chicken nugget. Your fist back then was a little bit smaller. No, yes. I'm talking about right now. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. See, the full size of the bird. But when I cleaned it, it was half a chicken nugget. Like I was, I was eating the breast. So he had cleaned it, found a wire somewhere from some of whatever we did, and he cooked it over the fire. This yep. this little piece of chicken, and then held it up to his mouth and. Enabled that sucker. And while he was doing that, what was Aaron and his boys doing? They're eating hobo dinners. Like ginormous ones. Like full of meat, potatoes, and carrots. I had my little bird. I was actually pretty proud of that because I had cleaned it. Aaron showed me how to clean it, how to feather it. And then I went to bed hungry. Yeah. Woke up hungry. Yeah. And... Then we went home and stopped at uh, Burger House. We We went out looking for some more food. Just hiking around and stuff. And, we tried um, looking for some Indian ruins, didn't find them. Found some watercress. N- ate yes. that. Yeah. Watercress is like a plant. It's like a celery almost. Oh no, what? No nutritional value to no, it whatsoever. No, it's just water. Okay. Yeah, you burn more calories than you get. And then we went home, ate at the Burger House. Yeah, on the way home, one of the best places ever. The Burger House had some green chili. So anyways, that's the story. I think that's all we got for tonight. Anything else you want to add, Brad? Thanks for coming on, Bishop. You are very welcome, Brad. Thanks for having us in Cedarstrom Financial Group Studio. Sure. Thanks for the stories. Thanks for the time. Thanks for life. And I think that's all we got for tonight.